If you have your Bibles, Galatians 2, we're going to finish that this week. So essentially what we were looking at last week is, as we walk through the book of Galatians, can we make God happy because of our works? Do works make God happy? And essentially what we learned through the book of Galatians so far is works do not make God pleased with us. Our works do not please God. So if our works don't please God, if we don't please God because of things that we attempt, how can we please God? So last week what we looked at as we look at three different ideas that Galatians 2 presents us that helps us understand if works don't please God, how can we please God? So last week we learned that God isn't pleased by our legalism and God isn't pleased by our hypocrisy. Now anyone in here participating by raise of your hands ever been hypocritical or legalistic? Now, how many of you have been hypocritical or legalistic this week? I've been. Now, the uniqueness about that is this, is, um, yeah, I'm trying to think which one I am most, and I think I'm both uh, hypocritical and legalistic, but where I beat myself up the most is when I'm hypocritical, and then my hypocrisy comes in, and then I start to feel like I have to be legalistic. So I did something wrong. I'm like, man, as a pastor, you just, you shouldn't speed up a little bit when someone tries to pass you on Route 4 going home. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> You're like, I'm going to make you go 67 to pass me. <laughs> and then you go slow down real quick. That was you. <laughs> yeah, that was me. But it was Scott in his semi passing two other semis and, <laughs> and a tractor. So I said, I'm going to make this dude pay for it. <laughs> so I'm hypocritical, right? Because I tell the church don't speed, and now I'm going 62 in a 45. So I'm hypocritical. And then I start to be legalistic to where I'm like, well, if I just... Make sure I click my seatbelt in 10 and 2 and drive 45 all the way home. Then God will be pleased with me. And then when I get home, I'm going to make sure to read a scripture. And then I start to become legalistic about this walk with Christ. And the fact of the matter is neither of those, me speeding up and then me trying to earn his love, doesn't please him. Me trying to earn God's love does not please him. And the pleasure that I'm looking for is the, the way that I want to please him is that when he sees me, he sees his son. And that's ultimately the only way that we can please him. Amen? So essentially, to get back into Galatians 2, the Jews were trying to pull people back into legalism and rules and while some who understood grace, they started to act in hypocrisy. 
So Paul comes on the scene, and he's frustrated with not only legalism, but mostly he's frustrated right now with, uh, or, yeah, hypocrisy and legalism. He's mostly frustrated with the legalism of trying to go back to the rules. Neither of these were pleasing to God. Essentially, what was happening during this time is that which God desired to be the church was being divided into two different classes of people the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews thought that they were God's favorite because they, they observed the law, right? Now, this would have made the Gentiles feel like they were second-class citizens. They walk into the church, and they feel like because they're not from Mechanicsburg, you're a second-class citizen, or because you're from West Liberty, you're better than us, right? Did West Liberty people ever feel that? Like, we don't fit in at Mechanicsburg? Many of you have because we've had discussions. See, at a greater level, what was happening here was the Jews were establishing themselves much higher than the Gentiles. So two classes were being created. But not only did the Jews at some point think that they were better than the Gentiles, there also came a point that the Gentiles thought that they were the best. And what ended up, ended up happening is this created division by which the church was no longer united. And this is something we have to be highly cautious of within this church. And not only within this church, but within churches within our county, within our nation, and around the world. Now, there is a caveat to that. Um, I believe that there's the church, and then there's things that look like the church. As I've shared before, I was at a meeting once with, or at a Christmas party with Macy and one of her coworkers, and yeah, I don't want to go too much details because the coworker could be watching. I doubt it because they're at church. Nevertheless, rewind, erase. There was a time that I encountered a church elder. And while I encountered this church elder, what he ended up saying is um, essentially a sin is not a sin. And he ended up throwing six beers down while we're having this discussion. And he said, what do you believe about affirming, not affirming? What do you believe about um, sin within the world? What do you believe about Jesus as the only way? Essentially, all these questions, and here's how I answered. Jesus is the only way to heaven, and a sin is a sin, period. Amen? If that is not the case, if you are not preaching that, then you are not preaching Christianity. You are not a church. So what he said is his church is what they're doing is they recognize based upon where culture is headed that they will no longer have a church unless they become a little more gracious and blurry within their teaching. So they said, if we become more blurry in our teaching and affirming of individuals, then we believe that our church will grow more. So what I ended up saying was this, is if we're not preaching Jesus' word in the Bible in its authentic way, right, then you don't have a church. Amen? So here at Mechanics for Christian Fellowship, not, not, because, not because of me, but because we have a congregation of people and we have leadership here who desire to pursue God's word in its authentic way truthful, whether we like it or not. Amen? So what's happening here is 
the church isn't being divided here in the book of Galatians based upon um, truth. What's happening here in the book of Galatians is people are trying to bring in um, extra truth, right? They're trying to have things that are not of Jesus, the real gospel, and they're being divided over such things. So what I'm not petitioning for is that here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship, we just unite with anything that says that they're a church. What we do do, though, is people who say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that he died and he resurrected from the grave, that he lived perfectly, that he can relate to us in all ways, that the word is inerrant, that we find ways to unite with those people. Amen? We don't seek to divide. But what ends up happening is, in our church today, there's the American church, the global church, there's often people seeking ways to divide. See, those who voted a certain way, how do we divide? Those who go on missions trips and those who don't. Those who give and those who don't. Those who drink in moderation and those who don't. Those who smoke and those who don't. Those who have tattoos and those who don't. Essentially what the church is doing is you come here today and we're all coming in the name of Jesus, that a truth is a truth, that he's the only way to heaven. And then we say, you see that Post Malone tattoo on that person's eye or that teardrop? And then you divide. Or, or then the people with the tattoos are like, hey, why don't you have a tattoo? Or the smokers feel belitt belittled or the drinkers feel belittled, and they feel less than it. And what we do is we, we start to legalistically create these factions, even if it's subliminally, where we're dividing ourselves within the church. Has anyone in here honestly ever divided themselves subliminally based upon some of these thoughts? Legalism, I have. Paul's frustrated, and he's saying, look, we shouldn't be dividing this division is nonsense. In this crazy world, we have to find ways to unite and lock arms with other believers, not find ways to divide. Now, again, this doesn't mean we don't keep people accountable to their sin. We all need accountability to that. So as believers, we are to unite. We do this through church coming here today. We do this through community groups we do this through other activities provided here at MCF together. We don't do this through legalism, hypocrisy, and keeping score. We don't please God through our hypocrisy or legalism, but we can please God through faith. And that's the third point today out of Galatians chapter 2. We looked at legalism, we looked at hypocrisy, but today we look at faith and how faith can please God. Paul is going to reveal to us what it means to have right actions and right belief, but this can only be done through faith. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, if you have your Bibles. If not, you can find it on the screens. Here we go. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't this mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I build what I destroyed, then I really would be considered a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Amen? If, uh, yeah, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If righteousness could be gained by serving the church, paying it forward, opening up a door for someone, then Christ would have died for nothing. Nevertheless, we're going to look at verse 15 first. So we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. That sounds kind of legalistic. That seems rude. That seems obnoxious. That seems straightforward. Why would Paul say this? Why would he be calling the Gentiles sinners? Well, speaking of himself and the other uh, Jewish apostles, Paul says, we are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. Paul is speaking from a perspective of a believer born a Jew. To a Jew, the term Gentile and sinner were the same. Paul is not saying that all Gentiles sin and Jews never sin. What he is saying is Jews were God's people by a covenant of law. That's what's going on here. While Gentiles were um, excluded from the relate. Sorry, while Gentiles were excluded from this relationship because they were not submitted to God's law. So the Jews submitted to God's law, Gentiles not submitted. So that's what's going on here. But even though Jews had this covenant, it did not produce righteousness or salvation for them. So just because they were law followers, that didn't create a way for them to heaven. See, in verse 16, Paul gives us a concise presentation of the gospel itself. This is how you're saved. Right here. Know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus. That way we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So we are saved explicitly by Jesus and by his grace. See, a man, even a natural-born Jew, is not justified by the law. To be justified is the word acquitted in, in uh, the original language. It means to be declared not guilty of any offense. 
So essentially, we do not do anything to earn our exoneration on our final judgment day. So when we face God, we need to be acquitted for our sins. We need to be forgiven. So we need justification. So we cannot keep rules, perform sacraments, make restitution, or sweep mistakes under the rug and hope for a good outcome when we face Jesus. None of those things can happen. Sin leaves us convicted and no work on our part can earn our ex uh, exoneration. Do you hear that today? No work on your part. So after Scott passed me on Route 4 and I sped up, neither of us could earn our way back to God. Amen? You guys don't like that today? I need that today. There's no way you could ever bridge the gap. Even if you lived a perfect life today until the end of your life, which may be after church or maybe 60 years from now, even if you lived a perfect life, that wouldn't be good enough to bridge the gap. God is holy and he's perfect, and we are not. So, Things that are unholy can't be in the presence of something that is perfect. So our works will not clear that slate for us. So sin leaves us convicted, making it even more clear that the Jewish attempts to keep the law did nothing to achieve righteousness. So the 600-plus laws that they tried to follow did nothing for them when it came to Christ. But what works cannot accomplish, Jesus did through his perfect life and sacrificial death. Amen? What your work cannot accomplish, Jesus can. And by faith in that sacrifice, we are justified alone. For no flesh, meaning no sinful man or woman, can ever be justified by works of the law. Paul says that even though he and the other apostles were Jews, they did not rest on their works of law because they could not save them. They knew they needed Christ, so they rested in their faith and not in their works for salvation. So how many of us today are resting in our faith and not our works? And the older I get in my faith, um, that freedom doesn't mean that I want to go out and do whatever I want. That freedom actually causes me to want to sacrificially live before a perfect God even more. Amen? For us to not be legalistic or hypocritical, we must walk in faith. Faith enables us to walk fully justified before a perfect God. This means if we are fully justified before him, we can please him. This means we please God by faith. 
See, in verses 16 and 17, Paul reminds Peter, Jews are not saved by works, rather they are saved through faith in Christ. So I want to look at the second part of verse 16. 16b. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ. So we have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified in Christ. Not we did Hail Marys, not we did service, not we gave to the church, not we attended church regularly, not we liked a post <laughs> on Facebook and never read it. Works does not, I saw a lot of smiles on that one. How many of y'all ever liked a post on Facebook and you didn't like it or you never even read it? Come on now, raise your hand. None of you, only me? You guys just laughing at me then? Sometimes they just get too long, and you're like, okay, like. And then someone's like, you realize what you liked? No, I only read a paragraph. Nevertheless, we are fully justified by our faith, not our works. Let's continue reading. Not by our works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. What Paul reiterates four times in this scripture is that we are justified by faith. We are justified by faith. Your justification before a perfect God is by what? Faith. Let's say it with me. We are justified by what? Faith, thank you. And justification is a major biblical word that has major implications for you and I. One author says it this way, and this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all the godliness consisteth. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should, know that this article, we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. What this author is saying is that we are to beat justification through faith into the church's heads continually, and to our family and kids and co-workers and friends' lives continually. That justification through Christ and faith in Christ is what we are to constantly preach. Amen? Paul is very intentional letting those in Galatia know that justification and the gospel cannot be separated from Christianity. If you are not preaching justification through faith in Christ, then you are not preaching Christianity. You are preaching something else. Some kind of weird sect of Christianity. So what is justification? Many of you understand what justification is. Maybe you've forgotten what justification is, but we're going to go over it. The gospel says we cannot be justified by the law, so we must seek justification another way. We need justification before God when we meet him face to face. But the Judaizers said that setting aside the law of Moses promotes a sinful behavior in the life of a believer. 
So if we set aside the law, then that promotes dangerous behavior for you and I, which I think that's also true. But Paul turns the table on the Judaizers and says that to turn your back on justification and to turn to living under the law after receiving justification is a sin. See, that behavior confuses the testimony of the gospel. So if we say, hey, look, we've received God's grace and we're fully justified by God's grace, but then we go to works, that confuses what Jesus really did. It suggests that certain works are still required. The Bible teaches that Christ freed us from the law by accomplishing it on our behalf. To return to a life um, living under that covenant denies Christ. So justification is God declaring that a sinner is now seen righteous because of Jesus. Amen? When God sees the justified, he sees them as if they have never sinned. So those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ today, he sees you as if you've never sinned. Unbelievable. Now, to understand justification a little bit more, we should look at the life of Paul once again. See, in Philippians 3, he says some really unique words. I'm going to read verses 4 through 8. Here's what Paul's saying. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So what Paul is getting at here is, look, he has a bunch of reasons to be confident in his works as a Jew. So of all people, Paul can speak to this. So here he goes. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Sounds arrogant, doesn't it? He's like, I've done more than you, seriously. So Paul here is giving reasons why he could argue that his works could have earned his way to Jesus. Verse 5, here's what he says. Circumcised on the eighth day, he's of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuted the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. That was Paul, and that's how he felt like his flesh was in submission to the law. But here's what he says. But whatever, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul had spent his entire life striving and seeking to obey the law, and he did it really well. He was trying his hardest to be good, 
to be a faithful, religious person. See, he strived, uh, strived so much that he persecuted the church, but that was because he thought he was doing the right thing. He was highly zealous, and he kept the commands. But in, justific in justification, God takes rebellious sinners who thought that they were doing good, and he proclaims them forgiven. So God has so kindly taken you and I, guilty sinners, messed up folk, who deserve hell as a verdict, and he fully justifies us through our faith in him and his son alone, who died on the cross and rose three days later. Amen? See, the righteousness of Christ is now credited to you and I. It is credited by faith, not our attempts to add to Christ's work. Everything that Jesus did on the cross and in his life is enough. That's enough. And when we try to do more than that, uh, we're missing the mark. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How many of you guys have ever seen a Rolls Royce? In person, any of you? I don't know if I've, have we ever seen a Rolls Royce? Macy says yes. So, I guess I've seen one. Um, I've se certainly seen them on YouTube or in a magazine, right? Really cool cars. Really expensive cars. So I heard this story of this multi-millionaire who ended up buying a Rolls Royce. So what he wanted to do is after he bought it, he wanted to travel or he wanted to fly to California to pick it up and then he was going to drive it back from California to New York to uh, his home. So what he ended up doing is he flies to California, he buys it, he picks it up, and he ends up getting to Missouri, and the thing quit working. Now, that's really frustrating, isn't it? You just literally bought a multi-million dollar car, and this thing doesn't even work. You got the Missouri, and it quit working. So he calls the dealership. What they ended up doing is they flew someone by private jet to Missouri, to the side of the road, to fix it, and then on with his way. So he drives it to New York, and then he keeps on waiting for the bill because he understands this is a multi-million dollar car. Any kind of tinkering or anything to be done with it, any problem with it is going to be a lot of money, right? So um, he gets back. And a month goes by, he never sees a bill. Two months goes by, he never sees a bill. Three months go by, he never sees a bill. Four months go by, he never sees a bill. And the last thing that he wants to do is have an unpaid bill that is somehow working against him. So what he finally does is he calls the dealership and he says, hey, my name is this, and um, I bought this Rolls Royce six months ago. You guys worked on it on the way back home and I have not seen a bill yet. 
They said, let me check the system. So they checked the system, and here's what they said. We have no record of ever doing any work on your vehicle. That's how justification works. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when he sees us, he sees us fully justified. So when he looks at our record, he sees the blood of his son. He sees the sacrifice of his son. So he says, I see no record of your wrongdoing. Get in here, you good and faithful servant. Amen? Paul is frustrated that the Jews and Peter are trying to lead the people back into additional work. Because what Paul understands at this point is we are fully justified by the grace of God alone. It seems too good to be true, doesn't it? Why would God do that? Um, verses 18 and 19 help us understand that answer, though. Verse 18 if I rebuild that what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul says that if, that if um, he, he died to the law, that, um, sorry, Paul says that he died to the law so that he might live. You and I died to the law so that we might live. The law required a death for sin which Jesus paid for, and Paul, and you, and me. So when Jesus died, that paid for all of our sins. Once the payment for uh, death has been made, we, no long, we are no longer under that law. It no longer has jurisdiction in our lives. It no longer has jurisdiction over us. Its penalty has been paid. The law's requirements have been fulfilled. And then we operate under a new law. And that's what Paul is trying to communicate. It's no longer him that lives, it's Christ that lives in him, and he's operating under a new law. So Paul says that he is now free to live for Christ. And the freedom we enjoy in Christ is first and foremost a freedom to serve God unrestricted by tradition, custom, and legal boundaries. We're set free to love him. We're set free. We don't track your church attendance here. Now, if we haven't seen you in a month, we're probably going to call you to check in with you. And if you've been here like four weeks in a row and then you miss your fifth week and we don't call you, it's because it's kind of awkward sometimes too because how many times have we called to check in on someone and they're like, I was literally here three weeks ago. Why are you calling to check on me? And then you don't call someone and then they're like, 
Why didn't you call me? So sometimes you don't get a phone call because we get stuck in between the two. Sound fair, but we love you. Can there be grace? Why are you lording over me, Joey? I'm not. I just love you. Well, why don't you love me enough? Either way. Um, yeah, do we need to talk about this? Next week. The freedom we enjoy in Christ is first and foremost a freedom to serve him unrestricted by tradition, by customs, or legal boundaries. Nothing stands in our way anymore because of Jesus' sacrifice. Not food, not calendar, no festivals, no associations, no clothes. We are free to enjoy him and to serve him. Amen? Not in sin, but in joy. Paul sums up saying that those preaching a return to the law are advocating that the grace of God is void and ineffective. That's why he's frustrated with Peter. If after we, we receive the grace of God in Christ and we still must keep the law, then what is God's grace? Why did Jesus die? If there were even one other way to become righteous, then God would have made this way available for you and I. You realize that there was no other way for us to be seen righteous. Not one. There was one way for you and I to walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Father, and that was for the Father's Son to be sacrificed. If there was any other way, he would have done that. He would have provided that. He would have spoke about that. But there's not. See, he certainly wouldn't have put his son to death needlessly, as Paul says. So as the chapter end, ends, Paul has defended his apostolic authority to preach a gospel that matches the gospel uh, of the Jewish gospel preachers, right? One author says this, and his authority is equal to any other apostle, including Peter, and his teaching is consistent with logic and doctrine. Meanwhile, those who oppose him teach without apostolic authority. They are teaching a gospel that contradicted the one that Paul received from Christ personally. And it contradicts with Peter, their favorite apostle. And it contradicts with logic and doctrine. With that, Paul is ready to address the Galatians' willingness to be sucked into false teachings. So Paul's teachings were very accurate, and they came from God. And he carried the mantle in authority. See, what typically happens is if we feel like we owe God something, we recognize our sins and begin to live a life that tries to repay him. Yet, biblically speaking, we cannot repay him. We begin to walk in legalism that doesn't please him, or we begin to take advantage of grace and walk in hypocrisy. So how do we please God? That's what we started, where we started last week. How do we please God? by faith in his son. Amen? To become one with him so that we live for him 
inside our being and outside with our actions. To become one with him that he lives inside of us. The Christian life is often missed because we leave it as if, um, yeah, because we leave it as Christ who died for us and forget about Christ who lives in us. See, when we accepted Jesus, when Jesus' grace died on the cross for you and I, we became new creations. And we often just say Jesus died for us. But the fact of the matter is, through justification, through regeneration, and through God's mercy, Christ lives in every believer today. Amen? So since Christ lives in us, we believe and trust him for everything, and that's what pleases him, by faith. So by faith, we are satisfied in him. Our satisfaction is in him. We depend on him for everything by faith. We trust him for everything. We even trust him for our satisfaction. We trust him for our food. We trust him for our gas. We trust him for and with our frustrations. We trust him in death. We trust him in life. We trust him with our job. In everything we do by faith, we trust God. Amen? That's how we please him. Not in our works, not in our, our hypocrisy, but in our faith and trust in his son alone. And that work fully and abundantly accomplishing everything that we've ever needed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your work has fully and abundantly accomplished everything that we ever need. No work today on my behalf when I fail can earn my way back to you. Father, I pray that your grace would not just be spoken to us in this moment, but we would have revelation in us. And there's some people this week that have been beating themselves up over their sins. Father, I pray that your grace would um, abound in them right now. Set them free, Father, from the sense that they have to cover themselves with leaves like Adam and Eve. Father, that they have to run from you or that they have to do certain things to earn your grace. I pray that right now that you would set them free, that your son was enough on the cross. Father, I thank you that your son was enough. Help us not be legalistic this week. Help us not be hypocritical this week. But help us by faith in everything that we do seek to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.